Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very final episode of Gen Pop. Like, really, the final one this time. For real this For time. Real. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about Better Call Saul Season 3, which just wrapped up uh, with Episodes 9 and 10, Episode 9, Fall, Episode 10, Lantern. Uh, we didn't do The Ones Who Knock, our podcast about Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad this year. Instead, we released a few episodes on the uh, Patreon bonus feed for Gen Pop subscribers. And we are releasing this season-wide recap uh, here on the main feed for Gen Pop that we can link to and, and everyone can listen to it. And here are our thoughts on a pretty remarkable season of television from my perspective, uh, Better Call Saul Season 3. Um, but before we get to that, we got to follow up with one thing about last time we recorded. Last time we recorded, Joanna, we talked about why is it that Mike Ehrmantraut changed his mind about uh, working with Price, right? He had this conversation with Anita, played by Tamara Tooney, uh, and she said how, like, you know, there was a, uh, her husband mysteriously disappeared on a hiking trip. She doesn't know what happened to him and how it continues to trouble her. And I speculated last week, uh, or the last time we recorded that, oh, it's because uh, he he teamed up with Price again because he didn't want Price's vanishing to be on his conscience. But I don't remember who it was on Twitter pointed out that actually Mike doesn't give a crap about Price. He took that action because um, he imagines that the delivery driver who died and vanished as a result of Mike's actions, like his family might not not know like what happened to him. And he right. wanted to kind of do right by by the delivery driver's family um that that was what was prompted uh that that was the favor that he asked nacho was to find the location of that body i think it also has to do with um just based on some stuff we learned in this in these two episodes and something i heard from vince vince gilligan was um just dropping the names there joanna just dropping the names not directly like an interview (laughs) he gave someone else i wasn't like hey vince um he that it, you know, this is about Mike legitimizing his legacy for um, Kaylee is his granddaughter's name, right? Um, that he, he, you know, this this whole thing with Gus and Lydia it has to do with basically laundering the money, washing it to make it clean, so that he has a legacy that he can leave behind as well. Does that make sense? So, like, um, you know, it's not just taking the action with Price and and all of that, but. Well, I guess that's there's a, there's thing. a whole bunch of family issues okay. you're, you're saying. Yeah, right? yeah. I was just I was just yammering. I apologize. <laughs> no, no worries. Although, yeah, the price thing. I mean, it did did. Uh, well, yeah, he did that, that. That money didn't come from price, right? He stole that money from Hector. Right, right. Uh, the two hundred thousand. But uh, Mike has a lot of family issues, and they were worked out in episode eight. Let's just put it that way. Um, although I will say, episodes nine and ten. Pretty light on Mike, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, there is this scene in in uh, season three, episode nine, where Mike is hired on as a security consultant to Madrigal on Gus's recommendation to launder the money. Um, but that's that's pretty much it, right? I don't think we really see well, anything and I, else. And I was thinking about Mike's arc as a whole this season, and I just don't feel like... I mean, what we got from Mike is now he's working with Gus. Yeah. If that's what happened, but like... What does that really have to do with like character development wise for Mike? I feel like they had like 
this this explosive dynamite story for Mike in season one, and ever since they haven't really been able to match it. Um, yeah, it, you know, yeah. in terms of giving Jonathan Banks something incredible to do. So. Yeah, this season felt like it was bridging the gap between Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad from a Mike perspective, right? Like logistically, but like I feel like Mike the character is already the Mike we meet in Breaking Bad. Right. So like what room does he have to grow? What does he have to learn and change and do? Do you know? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, That being said, it was pretty cool to see Madrigal again. It it was pretty cool to see him interact with Lydia uh, for presumably one of the first times and to give you some context for their relationship later on that you see in Breaking Bad. Um, and that look that she gives him when you know he he dismisses Gus as a drug dealer, but Lydia says he's so much more than that. Yeah, uh, I did enjoy that. So even though we got very little Mike in these last couple episodes, uh, it was a a neat callback. But I agree with you that the Mike storyline hasn't really gone that far this season, and I don't know how much more they can milk out of it in seasons to come. All the action these couple episodes is with Jimmy. And Chuck and Kim. Um, so uh, let's get into it. Um, I think let's talk about, I, I don't know, they're all kind of tied into each other. So there's no real way for me to, to talk about one plot line by itself. Um, so in episode nine, Jimmy, I'm going to quote from the Wikipedia plot summary, Jimmy talks to Sandpiper class action representative Irene to get an update on the Sandpiper case and realizes that Sandpiper has already offered a settlement deal, uh, which if they accept would give Jimmy over a, a million dollars as his share of the settlement. Jimmy tries to convince Howard to accept the settlement, but Howard sees through Jimmy's motivations and refuses. Meanwhile, Howard and Chuck meet with their malpractice insurance agency who propose either raising HHM's premiums or having Chuck supervised at all times. Chuck refuses to negotiate and instead decides to fight the insurance company in court. This proves to be the last straw for Howard who informs Chuck that he will be forced to retire since his judgment can no longer be trusted. Chuck responds by suing HHM for $8 million, the value of his share of the practice. Uh, and I'll also just fast forward here to the part where, uh, in order to secure the Sandpiper settlement, Jimmy pulls a series of cons and social manipulations to trick Irene into thinking that holding out on the Sandpiper settlement is against the interests of her fellow elderly clients, and she moves to accept it, giving Jimmy his much-needed fee. He returns to the office to give the good news to Kim, but she's too busy preparing for an important meeting with Gatwood Oil and leaves in a rush. However, due to her fatigue from overwork, Kim loses her concentration and drives her car off the side of the road, crashing into a rock. Uh, let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, so random question, Joanna, there was a scene where Kim was trying to pull her car out of this, you know, field Yeah. and then she gets the car stuck and then it almost drives it into like this oil derrick. Yeah. What did you think was the the point of that scene? I I, I think from my perspective, it's just like showing that this new job, which she took to kind of make up for the money that Jimmy's losing is causing her a lot of stress. And this is kind of a persona, uh, like a, a way that that stress manifests itself. W- what did you think of, uh, of that scene? Yeah. A stress manif- manifestation and like an accident narrowly avoided. And if she had just sort of pulled back on herself, then realizing how overwhelmed and like literally buried she was like her tire, mm. then, um, you know, she wouldn't have had the major accident that she has. Um, but it also like her, instead of calling anyone, her sort of doing it herself, 
um, you know, it reminds me, it reminds us all of Jimmy, I think, like that Jimmy is stubborn and wants to pull himself out of things um, while, while Kim keeps trying to help him. And, uh, and it shows that Kim, you know, has these similarities, which we've noted before to Jimmy of like wanting to just do it all herself. And so, yeah, it just felt like oh, she, if she had stopped right then and there and been like, man, I can't do this anymore, then we wouldn't have had the big bang up later on. But I think she does have that stopping point it just comes later right uh yeah <laughs> stopping point as it were uh when she was in the car kind of rehearsing to herself and the car shot lingered for a little while did you predict that this like something horrible was gonna happen i was like br- i was braced and worried but i wasn't like ah nostradamus says there's gonna be an-. i was just like anything anything bad could happen because I, I think uh, most of the time when they show people in cars um especially from that angle Typically, a car is about to hit them, right? <laughs> like, that just happens, I would say, I don't know, a significant percentage of the time when you see that angle. Um, but that being said, the, the threat in this case came from the front of the car, which that surprised me. Well, and the, ed- and the editing on that was so good. Very you know? good. And, like, and later, Kim talks about how she like lost time. But like, at first, you're like, oh, is this a... I had I had a lot of thoughts when you like cut to the crash. I was like, um, did she actually crash into the oil derrick and like, right. and 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 we didn't like and and she just thought she was safe and we're going back in time. Like for a second, I thought I was watching that show. Obviously, this is not that show. Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, like if she lost consciousness, you know, if she fell asleep or whatever she did at the wheel. Um, of course, that this is this is how it would manifest. You know, um, I actually thought. You're you're so right that occasionally shows can telegraph a car accident coming. I don't know if you um I mean I, I won't spoil the circumstance of it, but the the most recent season of Catastrophe, the Amazon series, there's just like Yeah. There, there's just like an extended sequence when someone's driving around. I'm like, it's you're there's no way this is not headed towards a car crash. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yep. so and so I know exactly what you mean by telegraphing a car crash, but I was actually thinking more like if we see her re- rehearsing her speech here, is she gonna get there and completely fuck it up? Like I knew something bad was going to happen, right, right. but like maybe we're seeing the dress rehearsal so that we can understand how badly she's fucking up the the final presentation or something like that. Right. But the I crash- think overall, in terms of telegraphing, the show did a pretty good job of not telegraphing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that it gave and hints, that, but yeah, yeah. You're, right, you're right. And then that jump, like, really just uh, rocked me. I was so worried. Yeah. I think like what was great about that jump is you know I have I'll, I'll be honest I have occasionally very rarely been in a car and driving sometimes and been incredibly tired and like uh, occasionally lost time. This is you know. Not recent, not in recent memory, but maybe a long time ago. I'd be in a car. I was incredibly tired. I remember when I was a teenager, I would, um, I would uh, drive and make deliveries for my dad's restaurant. And on some days when I'd only gotten like four hours of sleep, uh, it would be easy to like lose time for like, uh, you know, five seconds on the road. And it is a terrifying experience uh, that I think the show really, like the way it was shot and edited brought that to life really really nicely so uh so anyway really I actually great. got i i got pulled over recently for swerving because i was tired oh wow like really recently and um yeah that's a thing that i like ever since i moved actually which was like back in november i've had a lot more 
times of driving home very tired, not drunk at all, not even like a little bit drunk, <laughs> but just, but driving tired is driving drunk. And like, uh, you know, I'll just like, I get really sleepy and it's something that I like after I got pulled over, I was like, cool, this is something you, you have to start leaving places earlier is like basically what I told myself. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think like as people who have in the past very rarely experienced, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people have also experienced being tired on the road. Uh, this felt like a very good representation of that. Yeah, yeah. Very accurate representation. Speaking of uh, horrible things we're confessing to, Joanna, I'm going to tell you this. Okay. Mm. This is mm-hmm. a bonus for people who are listening to the Gen Pop feed. Mm-hmm. I used to be a mall walker. <laughs> when I was. Uh, living, what? When I was living in Boston. Um, no. I. Uh, was doing this thing called Insanity, right? The uh, the workout, Insanity. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did it so intensely that I uh, basically threw my back out. Um, I injured my back and could not work out for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to stop exercising. Uh, so I mall walked. I went to this mall like early in the morning. Uh, Burlington Mall. It's a massive mall in, in Burlington, Massachusetts. And I drive down there, and before all the stores open, like 9 or 8 a.m., the building is open, but none of the stores are open. And I would just walk around. I'd walk like a couple miles in that mall. Okay, uh, so what's – question. What is the advantage of mall walking versus like going to a track somewhere? The primary advantage is protection from the elements. Okay. So like it's always the same climate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so, wow. and, and, and also, and also it's a lot closer to my place than a gym. You know what I mean? So, sure, sure. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of like, sense. Like malls are generally centrally located. So they're of, often very convenient for people to get to. I just literally had never heard of mall walking until this episode <laughs> of, of Better Call Saul. So to find out that I have known a mall walker this whole time is just, I know it's, a, you know, it a it's shock. a lot. Yeah. So, wow, Joanna, I don't know about you, but firstly, I love the fact that this, uh, this track was laid from earlier episodes where Jimmy's in a really terrible financial state. Um, but, ooh, did this episode really make it difficult to sympathize or root for Jimmy in any way, right? I mean, this what? is like character assassination of Jimmy, in my opinion, this episode, episode, three, uh, episode nine of season three. What did you think? Character assassination? I don't know. Um, Character re- unveiling, maybe. <laughs> he's just like the, the the one of the problems is he's just so charming with the old people that like even while he's doing a terrible thing, like alienating a woman from her friends, an old woman from her friends, and like preying on her and lying to her, he's so nice about it. I was just like, what happens when I watch that? Because I'm like, in a different circumstance, Jimmy could have done so much for these people. You know what I mean? Like, he's so good at it. And, like, I was also watching him and I was like, I would even watch a Jimmy, like, um, uh, you know, Jimmy runs a retirement home. I would watch that. I love watching Bob Odenkirk, like, (laughs) lay it on to talk to these um, elderly folks. And so – yeah, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't like upset me. I, I mean, it's obviously a terrible thing that he's doing, but um, it, it deeply upset me. I mean, did it? Yeah. It just, I mean, but like in the end, he's. I. I mean, I think he thought that the relationships would be healed and everyone would get their money, and he would be happy. You know, it's just like he didn't think, uh, and that's a Jimmy problem. But like, I, I think he didn't 
it's not like he was trying to ruin this woman's life. He was trying to cause her temporary distress so that he could profit, yes, but also she would get a lot of money and her friends would get a lot of money. You know what I mean? Well, he wasn't I think, like. I think we're learning a lot about you tonight, Joanna. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I kid, but yeah, I just, you know, she, she, he was destroying, he was systematically destroying this woman's relationships with her friends, which is like one of the few things you have when you're that age. I guess. Um, and it, it, like in not that age, obviously there's many vibrant people we know that are that age, but I mean like when you're in that situation in a home with those people uh, and it just felt like th- it, for me, it's like, this is going too far. Like, cause you know, the woman is so nice and innocent too. You know what I mean? Like all the other people he has screwed over or uh, endangered or whatever. For some reason, this was the one that crossed the line for me. Now that being said, he does somewhat redeem himself in episode 10. So, uh, I think he totally, well, mostly redeems himself in episode 10. And like, what was the motivation for, for, um, Ooh, what is it? Davis and Maine and HHM to delay on the settlement. Like, uh, he was definitely, Jimmy was definitely primarily motivated by his own like greed and, and desire for that money. But also, were the lawyers holding out just so they could get a bit more? Like, was it really in their client's best interest to hold out? Like, right. you know, I, I mean, maybe if we're to, <laughs> if we're to believe uh, episode 10. But um, anyway. Yeah. Well, for for me, it was like an unforgivable act, but I just I love- guess I'm not there yet. I'm not going to be there until he like does something terrible to Kim. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. That's a totally respectable position. So I, I, I guess, but like, you know, especially in this in this episode when, um, yeah. Anyway, nope, that's the next episode. Sorry, it's confusing talking about two episodes at once. Yes. <laughs> so I think the only other thing I want to mention about season three, episode nine, is that um, there's this scene with Nacho and his father, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's he says, there's a lot said in that scene without a lot of words. You know, like, I'm working for the Salamancas again. And the father just says, like, get out of my house. And it's a very painful scene and you know there's a lot of history there and i thought it was very well acted um but yeah just just gut-wrenching this whole this whole arc the last two episodes were pretty painful to watch overall um very very dark but uh yeah any other thoughts on episode nine before we move on into the conclusion joanna um no but I reserve the right to revisit it in the context of episode 10. All right. So in episode 10, in a flashback, a young Chuck reads a story to young Jimmy under the light of a lantern. Let's just pause there for a second. I thought the flashback, you know, Better Call Saul does flashbacks and flash forwards a lot. I thought the flashback was um, pretty well done. And it was amazing how I was able to recognize that as Chuck almost instantly. Like whatever, whoever the actor they hired uh, in terms of the looks, but also just the cadence and the tone of voice. I just instantly recognize that as Chuck. I don't know if you felt the same way, Joanna. Um, I instantly recognized it as Chuck, but I think that was mostly context of like, what other boys are we going to be flashing back to? Do you know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> and have we seen those? Like, because we've seen younger versions of these boys before. Have we seen? Was it those boys? I, I don't, don't remember it being those actors. But, yeah. yeah. 
In the present, Kim suffers a broken arm from the car accident and decides to take the opportunity to take a leave of absence from the law. Jimmy, feeling partly responsible for Kim's situation, finally agrees to break their office lease and have Kim work out of her own home to save costs. Uh, Amazing. Amazing rebound for Jimmy, right? That he, be, he becomes more decent, right? He's like, you know... Uh, I mean, the, the I office is... Yeah, the office has been so important to him as a symbol of his like success and his future and his dreams. And it's not something that's just this season. It's something from like the first season of like, someday I will share an office with Kim. That's my dream. Right. And then he's like, oh shit, the office means nothing if Kim's not in it. So fuck it. You know, and um, I was really, actually, I was more frustrated with Jimmy in the scene where Kim was trying to get all her shit together in the office and Jimmy was like, I bought this expensive bottle of tequila because the Sandpiper settlement's coming in and let's celebrate. And he's like not listening to her when she's like so – I've been – I have been as stressed as Kim was in that scenario. And for him to not just step back – like step back out of his own shit yeah. and, and recognize what she's going through and help her. Uh, you know, that, that actually angered me more than the truly terrible, despicable things he did to those, um, older women. Um, that was also deeply upsetting to me, I should point out, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so for him to have this immediate rebound in this episode, for him to just be like, fuck the office, fuck whatever you need, I am here for you. And it's just like this crash, um, like Kim as, it proves that it's not fake in any way. Kim is so integral to Jimmy and who he is that like in terms of a wake up call, this is all it took. You know what I mean? For, for, for now, (laughs) for now, for now. Uh, so meanwhile, Chuck is forced out of HHM when Howard pays off his $8 million share out of his own pocket. I thought this is a great scene. Oh, so good. And and let me just say this, Patrick Fabian, who plays uh, Howard, I think is like, Yep. unsung hero of this series like yeah. or at least this season i mean you know he was like ostensibly the villain of season one in some ways right like yeah. before you knew that chuck was pulling the strings um he's just been awesome this season and i think he should definitely be recognized in some way uh whatever that way is i mean i, th- I thought he's so good I throughout the season but de- when he delivers the death blow to chuck this episode is just um just crazy when he gives that farewell speech to Chuck and everyone's applauding and he's, and then he just like turns around and walks away. <laughs> he just away. Like pieces out of that situation. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with you. Patrick Fabian. Oh, great. Awesome. Awesome performance. Mm-hmm. And like he, he was like, ang- he, he's like, really captures his like seething rage, you yeah. know, at like Kim, at Chuck. And like he's a lawyer. He's very buttoned up. He's very official. He can't, uh, you know, act out how he really feels. Um, but he does like the way he does it quietly. It makes you even more scared, right? When he yeah. buys uh, Chuck out. Yes. Um, but the good news is, you know, he gets to keep. Uh, <laughs> he's probably going to keep the rest of that eight million dollars now, right? Anyway, um, I'm making a terrible joke. Um, yeah, so. unless I, w- I, I like that was literally my first thought when the episode <laughs> ended. I was like, did Chuck cash that check? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to that money? Um, Anyway, under Nacho's urging, Nacho's father reluctantly accepts uh, the bribe from Hector, uh, but Hector remains suspicious of him. With no other choice, Nacho attempts to assassinate Hector, but is caught up in a meeting between Hector, Gus, and Juan Bolsa. Juan Bolsa from Breaking Bad. Uh, Bolsa reminds Hector that it is under Don Eladio's orders 
that all smuggling operations will be handled by Gus, which enrages Hector and triggers a heart attack, forcing him to be hospitalized. In the chaos, Nacho is able to switch Hector's fake medication back with his real pills, but Gus gives him a suspicious look. Okay, so this is this is where I'm going to admit what you want me to admit to our wider listenership, which is that I watched... I watched the episode of Talking Saul after that aired after the finale. And I didn't just like I didn't watch it live, so I didn't just like let AMC keep playing. I like searched for Talking Saul on my my like cable options. This is your proudest achievement, Joanna. It is my least proudest achievement because like if you know me at all, list dear listener, you know that Chris Hardwick is not my favorite uh way in which to uh, lens and through which to view pop culture. That being said, I wanted an answer right away of why the hell did Gus save Hector when Hector was having mm. his heart attack. Yeah, Hector's having a heart attack and Gus rushes in to give him CPR, right? Yeah. I was like, why? And I was like, I know we're going to podcast about this and we're going to talk about it and I'm going to just like wildly speculate and I would rather have a concrete answer. And um, apparently, according to like you know Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, Gus wants Hector to die on his own terms. It was basically on, like on, on Gus's terms. On Gus's terms, yeah, it was basically yeah. like a "not yet, you son of a bitch." I get to decide when you go, um, and, and maybe that was completely clear to everyone else uh, from the episode. No, but no, I just, no. I think I think it's it's definitely an open question. I was reading Seppenwall's review of it. He speculated that maybe. Um, he just didn't want to mix things up with Juan Bolsa and uh, Don Eladio at this point. Like, like if if uh, Hector died at this point, it might throw a monkey wrench into the plans to channel all the shipping through Gus's channels. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's another possible interpretation. But it's but too I, bad. It's too bad he didn't let Hector die because uh, I have a feeling well, Gus is going to come to regret that decision. I just <laughs> wanted to give. So, like, yeah, according to Peter Gold and Vince Gilligan, that's why. Uh, you know, Gus saved Hector. And I just want to give Chris Hardwick this grudging credit because I don't like to give him credit for anything, but I will give him credit for this. He's like, he's like, so yeah, so Gus wants Hector to, you know, Gus wants to take Hector on his own terms, on Gus's terms. And that's definitely what's going to happen. Just kidding. Hector kills Gus. (laughs) (laughs) In the most, one of the most spectacular deaths imaginable. Yeah. Yeah. uh, In in the history of television, you know? Yeah. Um, Gus definitely noticed Nacho with the pills. So, um, you know, and, and Michael Mando was on, uh, talking cell and uh, like, I don't, you know, Michael Mando, the actor who plays Nacho doesn't know what's going to happen next season. I don't believe next season has even been written, but he speculated, I think probably just wishful thinking that like he and Gus will work together in the future. Mm. Not that like Gus will take him out, but Gus will like recognize talent or something like that. So, um, that would be great because, you know, if we can keep working Nacho into the main plot, so like get him on team Fring, um, I'm all for that. So, and Gus survived the episode and Kim survived the episode. Not Gus, you mean Nacho survived the episode. Oh, sorry. Nacho survived (laughs) the episode. Kim survived the episode. These are the people that we were most worried about. We should have been worried about someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, (laughs) so well put, well put. Anyway, Jimmy tries to make amends with Chuck, but Chuck coldly cuts ties with Jimmy. Um, See, this is another like really good scene for Jimmy. Like Jimmy, just like, if you were really disappointed in him in episode nine, you have to be really proud of him in episode two, 10, because he just like, he did exactly what he stubbornly said he wouldn't earlier this season, which is like concede his role in things to Chuck and apologize to Chuck and try to make nice. And, you know, Chuck is just so fucking deep in his own dysfunction that he can't 
accept this olive branch at all. So, yeah. I, I, I'll say a few things. Firstly, I think what is amazing about this show is, and it's not something I, I like, I guess because I'm not super bright, but it's not something I saw coming when I when the show began, is it ultimately has become uh, a show about how these two brothers destroying each other, you know? Yeah. And that is... And they destroy each other in different ways uh, and for different reasons. But the the fall of each of them is quite spectacular and drastic. And to see it happen, you know, to, to culminate this episode is is quite thrilling. Uh, but yeah, uh, amazing moment. But here, here's what I'll also say. Chuck is right when he says to Jimmy, you're going to keep hurting people and you're going to keep doing horrible things. Um, Chuck shouldn't have taken the actions that he took to try to destroy Jimmy because that led Jimmy on a bad path. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. But Chuck is right. You know, Jimmy does do horrible things and he does lie to people and he does cheat people and he tries to make it up because he is in many ways a good person. I thought mostly, I mean, that, that might be true. I mean, we know it's true, but like that might have been true. You know, maybe Jimmy, if they had reconciled here, Jimmy like never would have done a wrong thing again in his life. Who knows? But uh, mostly what I took away from that moment was uh, I felt like Chuck was talking about himself. You know what I mean? Like he has he burned a bridge with Howard. Like one of the few bridges he had remaining, he burned it to the ground. And so like he knows that he is also hurting people no matter yeah. what he does. Uh, fair point. And, and so, yeah, when he kept talking about that and it just, it reminds me of this, like, I mean, everything comes back to Buffy Vampire Slayer for me, but it reminds me of, yeah, this great season for Buffy Vampire Slayer where she's just talking about like how much this one person deserves punishment, blah, blah, blah. And she's just so like clearly talking about herself and another character because it's a Joss Whedon show. Another character goes project much. Um, and that's what I thought when I was watching Chuck, I was like project much Chuck. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's, you know, um, Michael McKean has said that, that uh, Chuck is not like a self-reflective person. Like, I don't think Chuck is aware at all of, of uh, the stuff, but I, I really do feel like he's talking about himself here. So, yeah. Uh, and then he delivers that awful line, you know, the truth is you, you've you never much mattered to me or something along those lines. Right, which is like obviously the complete opposite. Yeah, it's, no? not, it's not true. It's, um, it reminded me of, you know, Don, uh, uh, Don Draper saying, uh, like, I don't think about you at all. But, yes. but, Don, but Don was... Don being, meant it. Yeah, I he think. was being serious, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, Chuck is just completely self-deluded. Anyway, we'll 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 get to what happens with Chuck uh, at the end here. But uh, Jimmy tries to mend relationship uh, relationship between Irene and her friends, but is unable to since Irene's friends remain suspicious of her. He finally resorts to accidentally admitting his fraud in front of his clients, which both vindicates Irene and cancels the Sandpiper settlement. Um, I did really enjoy the scene where Jimmy realizes that that is his only way out. He's talking with Kim, yeah, and he said, you know, Kim says, "Wow, really." Um, the uh, the cake. What, what did he buy her? He bought them like cakes or something, or he bought them um, cupcakes or something, you know. And th- that didn't do the trick. Yeah. And she says, "Wow, really? The cupcakes didn't do the trick, or so- some some kind of baked good or something like that." And um, Kim doesn't shove the answer in in Jimmy's face. You know, she doesn't say, "You just gotta come clean about it." Uh, she she lets like any good teacher, she lets Jimmy McGill come to that conclusion on her own, and. I thought uh, it was wonderful. And you see the realization cross Jimmy's face. 
and uh, I thought it was the whole thing was very well done. He realizes yeah. that's the one solution, and he executes it in a classic, elaborate Jimmy way, and it works wonderfully. Yeah, a couple things here. First yeah. of all, like I said before, with like with like the bingo scene in episode nine, and also the yoga scene in episode ten, I could really watch Jimmy talk to these these residents all the time when he's like walking them through cat pose and cow pose. Like it's just, it cracks me up. I think it's so funny. Um, and yeah. And the whole, the whole plan, I mean, even though we, the audience know that this is what's coming like, and that it's all intentional and stuff like that. Like it's just, it's really beautifully executed. Um, and yeah. And, and, and that moment when Jimmy, when Odin Kirk is like, I know what I have to do, but I just really don't want to do it. You know, like it's such a, such a good, and, um, I did want to rewind a little bit and talk about when, when we were talking about episode nine and I said, uh, Kim does stop herself or, or whatever, whatever it is I said, I was actually talking about episode 10 in terms of like, um, there's what's, what's the secretary's name? The assistant's name? Uh, Francesca. Yeah, when Francesca comes over and she's sort of like, you could still make this deal happen. And Kim goes into like overdrive mode and she's looking at her calendar and she's like, oh my God, I could. And I was like, as I was watching it, I was like, she is just like Jimmy. She can't help herself. Like, she, you know, it's just like, she's not learning. It's a folly. And then she stops, which is something that like, I don't think Jimmy would have done in that situation. She stops and she's like, no, you know what? Team, like, uh, what, what I forget what Jimmy calls it. It's like, you know, Operation Relax or something like that. And she just like goes to Blockbuster, says no, and just like, you know, slows down. And, uh, and we're all, I think, really happy because we want good things for Kim. I will say this no spoilers because I don't know what's coming, but the way Vince Gilligan was talking about Kim Wexler on Talking Saul, like, I. I feel very strongly that they are not going to write her off the show, that she is going to die. And I didn't, I never really believed it fully until Vince Gilligan started talking about it. Huh. You mean uh, write her off the show, meaning like she and Jimmy break up, you mean? Right. She goes to Nevada or something like that. Um, he, he was talking about how much he loves, uh, the actress Reese Horn and, um, and how much he loves Kim Wexler. And he's like, you know, every, every episode, you know, we, we fall deeper in love with her. And we realize, like, we just can't imagine, like Jimmy, we can't imagine our worlds without her. But we know that she's not in Breaking Bad. And we know, like, the day is going to come. Anyway, just the way he was talking about it just huh. filled me with so much dread. And in a way that, like, I don't know what show I thought I was watching, a nicer show where maybe she got to, like, go retire in a farm upstate or something like that. But um, I don't think that's what's going to happen to Kim. So you so. thought she was a dog, basically. Basically. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but that it sounds very plausible. I mean, this show and Breaking Bad are both about men who take dark turns in different ways. And um, I think we, we have not seen the darkest that the show is going to head to, even though this episode was pretty freaking dark. So... Did also want to give a shout out to that bingo scene. Uh, that you know, that montage of Jimmy preparing for the bingo reminded me of some of the Breaking Bad montages, right? Mm-hmm. The meth cooking, he's cooking some bingo balls, and the uh, the tepid response when Irene gets bingo is one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen on television this year. So, Poor Irene. Yeah. Well, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Jenna. I know. I feel. <laughs> I can. I can feel really bad for Irene and still 
want good things for Jimmy, you know? Indeed. Indeed. Uh, all right. So after forcing Jimmy away, Chuck's EHS symptoms begin to reemerge and he becomes obsessed with removing all electronic devices in his home to the point of tearing walls open to remove the wiring. He eventually reaches a breaking point and intentionally knocks the gas lantern over, setting fire to his house while he is still inside. Uh, so another scene of Ch- like Chuck frantically, you know, trying to rid his house of like, electricity and using it's, the meter as a proxy. It's so long. Yeah. Um, and I confess that I was like kind of annoyed with how long it was. <laughs> and then when the ending happened, I felt very bad with my, about my annoyance. <laughs> also, this is my last talking salt tidbit. I swear, Peter Peter Gold says his reference for this scene was uh, the conversation, mm. the Gene Hackman film, very where nice, he's yeah. like r- ripping apart uh, his house looking for a listening device. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Alan Sepinwall pointed out a parallel between this scene and the scene in um, earlier on this season with uh, Mike Ehrmantraut trying to discover the tracking device in his uh, gas cap. Um, just like a lot of scenes of basically dudes ripping things apart. There's also uh, what Jesse looking for the ricin. Uh, yeah. C- cigarette, doesn't he? Yeah, or um, uh, Walter White um, and Jesse trying to do the fly thing in, uh, like basically like guys trying to like find something or you know in the case of fly like catch something in their in their personal space right um i think the show does it really well and like they managed to shoot that like uh electricity meter from like six different angles uh i thought it did a decent job of making it visually interesting so uh now do we think joanna robinson that there's any chance that chuck is still alive not from the way Michael McKean was talking. <laughs> I, I I did get annoyed though because I like watched that happen. I was like, oh, a bunch of people are gonna be like, well, if this were if this were a more popular show, yeah, yeah, I'd be really annoyed in the off season of a bunch of people being like, well, maybe Chuck's no, but like, no, Chuck's dead. And um, there, well, there's uh, a there's actually a similar. We hosted this uh, show called Decoding Westworld. Yeah, where uh, a major character dies in the final episode, and um. That character then tweeted later, it was the greatest pleasure of my life to play that character, <laughs> implying st- that they're dead. <laughs> and still people are like, he could still be alive. And I'm like, he said <laughs> in a tweet <laughs> that he's done. And that that's, you know, Michael McKeon is talking in the past tense. So it felt, you know, felt pretty, pretty definitive to me. Did you know that that's what he was doing? I was like, what is he doing? When he's knocking, when he's that bumping sound on the lamp. Yeah. Yeah, it was a slow reveal to me. You know, it's like you hear this thumping. I'm like, what is going on? Because those scenes are incredibly dark too. Like, yes. uh, Like watching it, I watched it on a a mobile device, uh, which is obviously the best way to watch any better call. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Um, And it's just so hard to see what's actually happening. And so it took me a second to figure out. But then, yeah, I I quickly realized. uh, Also, the episode's called Lantern. There's I know. A flashback to a lantern. It's like if it's, I had been thinking about the episode title, I would have gotten it. Yes. But like, I wasn't. It wasn't. It was literally not because the lantern kept moving. Right. I, I think it's because they set it up with like that scene where he's doing so much stuff around his house and it's taking so long, that without any sort of result, really. 
that I was like, maybe we'll just watch Chuck like stamping the floor uh, existentially. And that's how we'll end the, end the episode. Right. And it was not until the lantern hit the floor that I was like, oh. Uh, so, yeah, that was not at all something I saw coming. Um, so what do you think? I mean, Chuck is has by this point in the show become one of the most hated characters, right? Um, not only has he abused Jimmy, but he has, he has essentially taken steps to destroy Jimmy's livelihood and is not a particularly likable guy as well. You know, he's not, he's not like a likable guy when he's destroying people's lives, you know? And so, uh, you know, what, what, what emotions do you feel when you you see that Chuck has killed himself at the end of this episode? I'm afraid to tell you because I think you're going to think I'm a bad person. Is it complete joy? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> relief. It felt like relief to me because this character has been sort of like, uh, if it hadn't, if, if, if we had ended the season with, with uh, the lights on in his home and his kitchen well appointed and all the stuff that Jimmy saw, all Chuck's manifestations of I'm getting better. If we had ended there, that would one thing, but to see him regress so rapidly in that conversation inspired scene, I was like, I can't do this anymore with the dark house and the, all. I can't. Oh, you're relieved for yourself as a viewer of the show. (laughs) Well, but also for Chuck is like, he's just, he's, he fell back so quickly. I was like, we can't go back to this. We cannot, I can't, I don't want to watch Chuck do it. This is good. This is it. It's over. It's over now. There we go. Uh, is that really awful? What, What were you feeling, Dave? Deep yeah. uh, human sympathy and <laughs> <laughs> kindness. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a tragedy, you know. Um, yeah. Seeing essentially a person consumed by their own mental illness. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it's it's really sad and tragic. And I, it happened very quickly, you know, happened very abruptly. I guess because like two episodes ago, Chuck was just saying, oh, things are going great. I'm going to be great. I want to have a party, you know. Um, yeah. And it just, it, it did feel like it happened really, really quickly. You know, I felt, I feel like we needed to see a little bit more of the descent into the decision to kill himself. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not an expert on mental illness. Maybe this is ex- exactly how it happens in real life. Like someone has like a manic episode and then kills himself at the end of it. I, I don't know. Um, but it, it is really tragic and... It's just so, it's so sad. It's so sad. It's, it is an epic Shakespearean tragedy, what happens to these brothers. And uh, I, I, I think that's, that's what makes the show brilliant. But yeah. it also makes the show a big downer. And, uh, <laughs> and I understand why you know, it hasn't necessarily caught on as much as Breaking Bad. I mean, let's talk about overall this season, you know, especially how this season fits in with the rest of the series and, and Breaking Bad as a whole. You know, We've now seen 30 episodes of the show, Joanna. Like, what, yeah. what is your overall assessment of Better Call Saul at this point? As Michael McKean said in the past tense, I made a 30-hour movie. Um, and we should point out, at this point, it has not yet been re- renewed for season four. Although, I think I we, have, we have every expectation. Yeah. We have every expectation it will come back for season four and possibly five. Maybe they'll do what they did with Breaking Bad and split it off into two, you know, do like 16 episodes and do it in two parts. Who knows? But... I, I think there will be more Better Call Saul. But yeah, overall thoughts, Joanna? Um, I thought this was kind of, it felt like a wheel spinning season to me a little bit. Um, they're unwilling to pull the trigger on quite turning Jimmy into Saul. So 
you know, he has highs and lows. I think, the, you know, I, I think what we've seen a couple times is them advance and then pull back and advance and then pull back. I do think killing Chuck is a point of no return. Like that is going to do crazy things to Jimmy. Right. And so, um, I feel like the end of the season means that next season is going to be pushed forward in a big way. But this season really did feel to me other than like, well, the I Chuck, yeah, I mean, the Chuck storyline is now resolved permanently. So I think that is definitely something that this, this uh, season pushed towards. But it did. I, you're right. You're right. But I, I agree that I, I think now more than ever, more than ever at any point during the show, we now see exactly kind of the steps to how Jimmy McGill is going to become Saul. Like this, ser- this season set up a lot of those in-between steps. Okay. Specifically, Jimmy losing his license for a year, Chuck dying, him and his, re- his relationship with Kim like fraying in some ways. Like all these things are going to lead to Saul Goodman. And I think this season really laid that track. For- so I agree with you that I think we're going to see a lot of Jimmy becoming Saul activity next season. Yeah, I um, I have to say, though, I remember around this time last year when it ended and we were like, is Gus Spring coming? We don't know. Okay, he is. And we were all so excited. We are like, Gus Spring's coming. Oh, my God, Giancarlo Esposito, blah, blah, blah. But, like, how underwhelming was all the Gus Spring stuff this season? I think pretty I underwhelming. I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was – I agree that I at the end of it, I'm not like, oh, man, Gus Spring, do you see him do that – thing that he did you know I, I don't have any of that or even that moment it, it there was that moment when he kind of addresses the fast food restaurant you know the los Poyos hermanos and ta- gives that speech about america um that was a nice moment you know but it, it's not certainly not him cutting some guys you know some guys throat with a box cutter and telling everyone to get back to work you know it's not him getting his face blown off and straightening a tie it, it, there's there's nothing of that caliber yet. I mean, it's uh, but not, I, I, I'm, I'm saying, I think what, you know, you're saying, you're kind of saying like, there's a lot of wheel spinning, not that much happened. I'm saying, I overall agree, but I do think there were some nice moments. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think the Kim and Jimmy stuff continues to really compel me. And as you say, the, a lot of the Howard stuff was great this season, I think. Uh, but yeah, Mike and Gus, that that stuff, you know, if we if we want to talk about the the Jimmy Show versus the Mike Show, I think this was a pretty good season of the Jimmy Show, pretty bad season of the Mike Show, or or like underwhelming season of the Mike yeah. Show, yeah. and um, you know, and 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 so like a sort of split season overall, I guess. Yeah. So is this a show you're still enjoying, Joanna? What what what's your take on it at this point? Like, is it um, a show you you're watching because you have to, or you know, because we we said we talk about it, or is it a show that like is it a show you look forward to every week? I guess is the question. Well, so I've been what I've been doing actually is uh, I take a week off uh, when we're not podcasting and I watch two episodes in a row Me too. every week. Me yeah, too, yeah. And uh, I've been really enjoying those two little like you know blocks of Better Call Saul. Like I've been enjoying that. Uh, it's never felt like a huge chore, and. Um, the, the, so, it feels like the best way the show is enjoyed, to be honest, is is watching multiple episodes at once. Because I just feel like, for me, my taste, it just so little happens on a per episode basis. Do you know what I mean? That like the plot moves very slowly. So I like the ability to watch two at once. 
Um, and I'm, I'm glad yeah. we did it this way. I know it's not how people would prefer. Uh, we Like some people might prefer that we do episode by episode recaps. But for me, like overall, just watching two episodes at once and then talking about the two episodes was a much more enjoyable experience for me just because you get a better sense of what the bigger plan is. You know, you get a better sense of what people are trying to do with the show. And I think that's particularly important in this show that's so deliberately paced. So... So yeah, I still look forward to it too. Um, but but yeah, doing week by week, I think uh, could could have felt like a bit of a slog if we did it this season. Uh, yeah, and it didn't because we didn't do that. So yeah, I mean, you know what was a bummer of the seasons that we didn't have your brother for this epic brother versus brother season. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially my, because yeah, go ahead. Well, my brother just messaged me um, like half an hour ago before we started recording, and he said. He messaged me, he says, how is Better Call Saul season three? I'm going to try and watch it while I'm on vacation traveling overseas since it's out on Netflix internationally. (laughs) So he has not even seen any of the season yet. But uh, he does, he did want to check in with me and see, you know, what it was like. And I mean, that's one of the things that's undeniable about the show, unfortunately, is that it is not event viewing in the same uh, way that uh, Paul Saul was or even Westworld or, you know, anything like right, that. Like, you mean Breaking Bad was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. well, both. Did I say, I said Westworld, right? Yeah. So You bre- said Better Call Saul. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Breaking Bad and Westworld. You know, yeah. those are two shows that we've recapped recently. Um, or even feel like Twin Peaks, like even though not a lot of people are watching Twin Peaks, like you have to watch it on Sunday night because because people, people are talking about it yeah. the next day they're yeah. they're gifting it on Twitter you know like there's do they're doing a lot of stuff I don't see that many Better Call Saul gifts on Twitter no. at least not in my feed you know maybe there's there's subcultures of Better Call Saul Twitter fans out there but not not the people who I follow and so it it doesn't feel like episodes are events in the same it, way right? and it doesn't feel like yeah it doesn't feel essential I guess yeah and it's hard uh, you know anyway uh, I'm glad we watched it I'm glad we did this podcast I'm glad you guys all listened I'm glad uh, we didn't get a lot of I didn't think we got a lot of feedback on it um, but could, could be because you know it was in the, behind the paywall <laughs> but oh. uh but maybe we'll get some feedback on this episode, Joanna. Maybe. Um, if you if you want to give us feedback, genpopshow at gmail.com. I'll monitor that for another couple of weeks. But um, yeah, it, it's not a show that felt like, like you said, not a show that felt like essential viewing. Right. Um, which is not to say that it's not a good show. It's a, it's a very good show, in my opinion. It's very well done. I thought Dave Porter, by the way, Composer for Better Call Saul did a particularly good job with this episode. A lot of different themes, uh, a lot of trumpet use for the Chuck stuff that I thought was very nicely done. Um, so a lot of good things about the show. It just has not taken off in the same way that Breaking Bad did. And and here's the thing. doesn't feel like it's ever going to. You know what I mean? No. Like it doesn't. Like with Breaking Bad, that was a show that I felt like people just need to realize how brilliant it's, it is. And one day they will. Maybe it's going to be on video on demand. Maybe it's going to be years from now, but they will one day realize how brilliant the show is like they did for The Wire. That's how uh, I feel about The Leftovers. Yeah, Leftovers is another great example of that. Um, and, 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 but I, and Breaking but, Bad did like break through. That's what, yeah, that's what I was going to say, yeah. is people did eventually realize it was on Netflix. Yeah. While, while the show was on the air, right? Yeah. But this is not a show... I feel that way about. I don't think, nope. oh, one day this is going to just take off and be a huge hit. I think this is always going to be a niche show. And, and I, I think not even when they convince like Brian Cranston to come on the show and do <laughs> like a cameo, is it going to like, yeah, it's not, 
It's not going to happen. I wonder how they would do that because it would have to be before the end of Breaking Bad, obviously. So, right. Anyway, um, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting uh, Gen Pop. If you did that to hear us talk about Better Call Saul, and of course, you can hear Joanna and I talk about TV on other podcasts, including Peaks TV at PeaksTV.com, and a cast of Kings coming up soon at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. A lot more Joanna and David Chen uh, talking about TV coming your way. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you very soon.